wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, this is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful uh, city of Adelaide. It's my real privilege uh, to be able to share with you uh, once again this week and next week uh, in view of uh, the COP26 that's occurring over there in uh, Glasgow, uh, we're talking about the Bible, the church and the environment. Uh, we want to give a biblical understanding of uh, this subject. Uh, our series began uh, with Pastor Joseph and Pastor Will on Monday asking whose responsibility is the environment. Uh, then yesterday we asked, what does it mean by subdue the earth? That's such an important question. So many uh, reflect on that in a, in a negative way. Today uh, we're looking at what does the Bible say about natural disasters. Then tomorrow uh, we're asking, could vegetarianism benefit the environment? Now that's an interesting discussion, that one. Uh, next week we look at even more relevant questions. Is there danger in worshipping the creation rather than the creator? Now, uh, that one is one that is uh, so readily and so quickly overlooked. And then uh, finally next uh, next Wednesday, we're going to be digging into uh, why won't green political solutions work? Uh, my friends, we're in for an exciting two weeks. I think you'll really enjoy uh, what we're going to present here. Uh, today, our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. Now, David's the... Uh, um, the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Now, welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Uh, good afternoon, listeners. It is really wonderful to have you uh, back uh, back in the uh, in that seat there, and uh, uh, and to be here in Adelaide. I, this is real spring weather now, isn't it? Actually, this morning and last night were quite humid, I felt. It was almost Melbourne-like this morning. You know, we had a rainstorm and then we had overcast clouds and then we had, uh, we've got sunshine now. Couple of seasons in the one day. Hey? That's, that's, that's the one. You know, I mean, I feel for my mates over there in, uh, uh over there in Melbourne. Uh, they're, they're good people. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do like the weather that we have here in, you're a, you're a Victorian, aren't you? Yeah, that's why I was quiet. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I I love Melbourne, I love Victoria, but uh, South Australia is not a bad place to be for a time. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we can import you back there? Well, export, yeah, who knows? Indeed, indeed. David, look, tell us something. Now, look, this week we're chatting about the environment. Where do you most like to go and enjoy God's creation? And this probably leads on to what I just said. Uh, look, um, in Victoria, I, I, one of the places I love is, is the Alps, and they're not really Alps, are they? But um, the high country in Victoria, I love to yeah, walk amongst beautiful. the mountains, beautiful snow gums to see all the different colours that come out, really incredible, the rocks, the moss on the rocks, the views, the vistas. In South Australia, I guess it would be, and I've just recently been there again, the Flinders Ranges. They are absolutely yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I, I love myself going across to KI, Kangaroo Island here in uh, in South Oz. That is such a pristine location. Anybody who hasn't been there has really missed something good. Look, it is. And I guess, Gary, for me, one of the things is 
to be somewhere without a lot of noise and to yeah. take in, in other words, to to declutter the noise that exists around us, to be out in nature, usually in the wilderness, in the mountains, or even the beach, as you say, or an island, and just to be able to soak in without all all the other filters needing to be on what yeah. God's given us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I fully agree with everything. In fact, here, even even up in the Adelaide Hills, I love doing a trip up in the Adelaide Hills. In fact, every now and then I'll just go up there on a Sunday, okay, visit my son, but it's, it's nice to visit the roadside stalls and uh, uh, the, uh, the, the blossom is out and the birds are singing. It's a good-to-be-alive place. It is, and, and autumn, you know, in various parts of Australia is wonderful too, isn't it, seeing yeah, different colours yeah, indeed. come Indeed. Anyway, David, look, let's come to our, uh, uh, to our, um, uh, World Watch segment. Uh, now I was picking up again off the, uh, Christian headlines, uh, site that I, I do follow, uh, an article that, uh, reflected on both congregations and religious leaders. And, uh, uh their comment was that, uh, congregations and religious leaders are growing older, study finds. Well, I mean, I'm growing older, you're growing older. So this didn't hardly surprise me. But of course, here they're talking about the average age of uh, of congregations and to me uh, I, I'd like to uh, I'd be interested in your feedback as to how this is I mean you're the uh, you're the lead pastor of the uh, church here in uh, in South Australia how do you think this is actually impacting on uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, here uh, here in Australia you might like to uh, reflect broad more broadly if you'd like to according to findings from the 2020 uh, faith communities today study the average age of church congregation members Members and pastors is getting older. Uh, the multi-religious study, which evaluated the responses of fifteen thousand two hundred and seventy-eight uh, religious community members across eighty different faith traditions and denominations, found that the average number of senior participants within a church has risen by five percent since two thousand and eight. This change is in line with overall population numbers as members of the baby boomer generation grow older. The numbers differ from the general population, however, when broken down by age. According to the study, 33% of respondents noted that they were 65 or older. That's a full one-third. Whereas, and this of course is a US uh, study, uh, but the results are fairly similar here to Australia, uh, the US uh, Census Bureau's 2019 uh, survey found that only 17% of the overall population are 65 or over. So that's more than double what you would actually expect. Uh, Among 25% of all religious communities, at least half the congregants are at least 65 years old. Uh, Within mainline Protestant churches, 42% of churches have at least half their participants in this age group. Now, to me, that really jumped out at me. 42% of mainline Protestant churches uh, have at least half their participants above the age of uh, of 65. I found that to be a, a remarkable statistic. Uh, not only did the study find that congregations are growing older, but it determined that faith leaders are growing older too. Now, I don't like that particular statement, but anyway, that's a, that's the way it goes. Um, according to the study, 40% of religious leaders 
are at least 65 years old. Uh, The average age of a faith leader has also risen, whereas in 2000, uh, the average age for a faith leader was 50 years of age. The study found that by 2020, the average age was 57 The Faith Communities Today report notes that the postponement of retirement by many clergy and fewer younger adults enrolling in seminaries make this general trend unlikely to reverse anytime soon. Now, David, this, this particular survey to me, uh, brings up so many different, different points. Now, look, uh, firstly, the, the church, I mean, you lead the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in, in South Oz. Do you believe the church is aging? Gary, I was hoping for another couple of minutes. I'm actually looking busily through my laptop for a report that I came across the other month. I don't believe that um, over 50% of congregants in... uh, Let me get this figure right... Um, in the document read, it says among 25% of all religious communities, at least half of their congregants are at least 65 years old. I don't believe that to be the case, and I'm just trying to look at it. If I can, it's actually it's actually something I would actually pick up uh, what what you've actually said there, because certainly from my experience within my particular churches and the churches that I'm responsible for, uh, I know that uh, uh, that certainly isn't the case. In fact, to me, the thing that continues to uh, stand out to me is that we do have a constant number of uh, of young young professionals, young people are actually coming to, to our churches. Um, but David, I, I'm conscious that this is actually reflecting. Uh, have you found your figures there at all? Still looking. Keep going. Okay. I'll keep, I'll, I'll keep, uh, keep going then. Um, um, I'm really interested the on the other side of the equation, and that's the uh, graying of the clergy. Now, now, David, this is something that must impact us uh, because I'm conscious that, well, it appears to me that uh, churches generally, and I, th- I'd be interested to know to what extent within our own denomination are uh, young men and young young women coming into leadership. Uh, at seminary level I mean how many people are putting up their hands saying I want to be trained for a a life in in ministry so every year is different Gary um, as as prospective students go through seminary but uh, typically um, there are more people that go through than there are positions available across Australia and New Zealand and um, yeah, um, I guess I can only speak of our local context in our own pastoral team here in South Australia, but I think we have a good blend of uh, age and maturity, if you like, and also young creativity. Uh, and, and I think that's going to increase, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the coming years. Gary, just I've come across some statistics of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Australia, and um, it says here that... Um, it says here that 45.5% uh, of uh, attendees are, or of members, I should say, attendees this is actually, are under the age of 45. Well, that's, that's positive. Sorry, 40, 45% are under the age of 35. That's positive and encouraging, isn't it? Yeah, so 45.5% are under the age of 35 when it comes to attendees. 28.8% are under the age of 15. This is across Australia in the Seventh-day mm-hmm. Adventist Church. So um, I think there are certainly challenges there as as society 
uh, as Christianity is sort of squeezed out, uh, trying to engage with younger generations becomes even more important. But I believe currently, um, you know, our statistics, it would be wonderful to see them better, but to actually... Um, to actually see that 28.8% are under the age of 15 is really exciting. And that's exciting. for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And um, under 35s, age under 35 years of age, is 45.5%. Okay, okay. Well, th- And those are significant figures. And uh, to me, that's, that bodes well. Uh, for the uh, for the future, um, yeah, David. Look, really appreciate what you're actually uh, sharing on uh, on that. Uh, look, let's come to some uh, some music. Uh, let's come to uh, uh, here. We've got uh, the uh, Lockwoods, and the song is "God Moves in a Mysterious Way." Beautiful, beautiful song.
Lockwood's God Moves in a Mysterious Way. What a fantastic song. I love the uh, the words and the thoughts that are expressed uh, in music in, in that song. Uh, now, folks, look, today we do have a uh, a free giveaway for you. Now, this is our giveaway for this uh, for this week. We uh, do try to change our giveaways each each week. Uh, the, uh, the book this week is entitled uh, Hope uh, When the World Falls Apart. And uh, this is talking about Daniel and Revelation's message of hope. And this is written by uh, Russell Burrell. Now, Russell has been a, an educator for many, many years at tertiary level. A greatly appreciated educator. He's visited here in Australia uh, many, uh, many times. And uh, I've certainly had the privilege to uh, to sit and uh, uh, and speak uh, speak with him. Uh, now, this this book talks daily stress, economic woes, world and national crisis. Daniel and his friends grew up amongst the privileged of the land. They were secure in their wealth, their education, their bloodline. A bright political future lay ahead as Daniel, he was born to lead. And then with a sudden attack and a turn of events, he found himself squarely in the middle of conflict that nobody wanted. He was terrorised. He was held hostage and alone in a strange new world. His hope for the future had all but fallen apart, but somehow he managed not only to survive, but to actually flourish. And he received some of the most powerful prophecies ever revealed to man. This is a powerful, powerful story that really speaks to our day and age. Look, guys, I'd really recommend uh, this uh, this particular book uh, for uh, to you. It's uh, it's not a large book. It's a fairly small small book. If you'd like your own copy, look, we're happy to just send that uh, to you at no cost or obligation to yourself. All you need to do is to text us uh, here at uh, at our studio um, mobile number. Uh, that number again is 04 808 11 That number again is 04 888 808 11. And all you need to do is to uh, quote SA23, SA23. No gaps between any of those letters. And uh, you'll be uh, our, our robot. He's called Faithful. A lovely little robot. Uh, he'll uh, he'll contact you and he'll ask you for the details that uh, that he needs to be able to get this to you in the fastest way way possible. So uh, please feel free to say hello to Bot for us. Uh, he uh, he really is. Uh, he really does earn his uh, earn his keep. Uh, so that book again is uh, Hope uh, When the World Falls Apart by by Russell Burrell. And if you'd like it, that number is oh four triple eight eight oh eight. Uh, 11. Now you're listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher. And David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, here in uh, in South Oz. Uh, now this week and also next week, uh, we're looking at the, a really big subject, uh, the Bible, the church and the environment. And now we want to give a biblical understanding of this particular subject. Of course, over these two weeks, you've got to copy. 26 that's occurring over there in Glasgow in uh, in Scotland and uh, so much of what I hear coming out of out of there in fact virtually everything that comes out of there totally ignores the God picture the God dynamic that is so real in scripture and has such a uh, so, so much to say to this particular subject the Bible the church and the environment uh, and uh, our series actually began earlier this week when uh, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Will uh, they started by asking whose responsibility is the environment 
then yesterday uh, we asked, what does the Bible mean by subdue the earth? Of course, that's one of those key texts in uh, uh, in uh, Genesis uh, that so many criticise Christians for pillaging the earth on the basis of that particular passage. Today, we're going to be asking, what does the Bible say about natural disasters? Uh, so much of natural disasters is uh, uh, is put at the uh, feet of uh, of climate change. Tomorrow, we ask, could vegetarianism benefit the environment? Hey, now that's going to be a very interesting discussion. Um, next week, we look at even more relevant questions. Uh, is there danger in worshipping the creation rather than the creator? Uh, now, that's a really big one that is totally overlooked in any uh, environmental discussions. And then, why won't green political solutions work? Uh, we're in for two really exciting weeks. I believe you'll really appreciate everything that you hear. Uh, now, David, um, how much um, uh, impact has humanity had on, on the environment? Now, this, of course, is one of those questions that goes around and around, big circular argument, and, uh, uh, and I am conscious that, um, uh, that people do have various views on that particular question. But and Sorry, Gary, just on that. You hold me up if you want. Can we ask people to text in what they see as the cause of these natural disasters? Is it just nature? Is it God or is it Satan? Can we ask our listeners to text yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. Look, look, David, look, that's most certain. Look, folks, if you would like uh, to text in uh, your uh, your understanding on this, I mean, what is the cause of natural disasters? You know, this, this is a really big question and there are so many different um, different understandings out there. Um, but look, you can text us on that uh, that number uh, that uh, we gave you before, 0488 11 and uh, we'd love to have you contribute to our uh, to our program um, but David I, I hear repeatedly that uh, with increasing global surface uh, temperatures the possibility of more droughts and natural disasters is also going up exponentially in other words uh, one is causative of of the other. If we can solve the first, we're going to resolve the second. You know, if we can resolve climate change, uh, then we're going to be able to resolve the natural disaster issue as well. Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. And of course, that is one of the premises that, uh, to me, as I look at the scriptures, I sort of uh, say, well, I'm not really sure I'm convinced that that premise is actually that valid. But David, look, uh, take us through the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say on, on this question? Of course, the question, uh, again, is what does the Bible have to say about natural disasters? So, Gary, let's go to that very first book that many Christians believe was the first book written, and it's the book of Job. Mm -hmm. And Job is known as an ancient wise man from the East. Uh, He is a rich man, and in chapter 1 of Job, we come across this man who is blameless in verse 1 of chapter 1 and is upright and is someone who fears God and shuns evil. Then it lists Job's possessions. And it says that he had seven sons and three daughters. Now, I'm not suggesting their possessions, right? But (laughs) he has seven sons and three daughters. He has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, and 500 female donkeys. So he has a very large household of servants. This man is incredibly wealthy. And the story in Job then turns to a, a conversation, if you like, between God and Satan. 
Mm-hmm. We get this insight, the curtains yep. pull back. A- and um, it basically says here, and the Lord, uh, Job 1 verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? And Satan responds, he answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. So we know that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they handed over rulership, if you like, uh, that God had given them to Satan. Indeed. So Satan says, hey, I've been on my turf. I've been on my turf. I've been on the earth walking around. And then God sort of says to him, it's almost... And this is wrong to say this, but it's almost as if God brags about his servant Job. And I know he didn't brag. He says, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, and one who fears God and shuns evil? And then Satan always comes back with doubt. Mm. He says, Does Job fear God for nothing? He says. And he goes on to say, have you not made a hedge around him? You've protected him and his household and around all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands, given him lots of possessions, and and that's why he serves you. Indeed. And he says, but if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And so... God says to Satan, he says, look, you can do anything you want, but you cannot touch his person. You can't touch his body. Yeah, yeah. And so this is when we see the full character of Satan revealed. Yeah, yeah. Because in one single day, first we find his oxen and donkeys are destroyed, his sheep are destroyed, his camels are destroyed, and his sons and daughters finally And we would actually call a lot of these things, these destroying things, Natural disasters. We would, and we'd say they're uncanny. Yes, but but I guess Bible believing Christians that believe the Word of God is inspired uh, believe that there is the supernatural. Indeed. And so here in this story of Job, the curtain is pulled back, and we get a true picture of who Satan is. He's the deceiver. He's the antagonist. Jesus called him in the Gospels the father of lies, um, and in one day he destroys. Everything Job has except for himself and his wife. And this is actually so important, David, because I'm so conscious that uh, I, certainly the biblical, and I call it the biblical rather than the Christian because so many Christians have actually moved away from the Scriptures, the biblical worldview is certainly one that includes uh, the supernatural. There are supernatural elements. You know, you get a supernatural God who created. You get a supernatural devil who is actually doing a great deal of negative both to individuals and to the planet. But he flies under the radar because everyone says this is an act of God or how could God allow this? They don't say, well, why did the devil do this? Yeah. So in this story of Job, he loses everything in a day and then he still, Job still doesn't curse God and then Satan says that's because you're protecting his body. You let me touch his body and he'll curse you to your face. God says to him in uh, Job 1 verse 12, he says, um, well, he said there that, you know, you can do anything, um, but you're not to, not to harm him. You're not to kill him. Not this to- tells us that ultimately God has control. It also raises questions, but ultimately says God is our protector. Yeah. yeah. And Satan um, doesn't have sovereign power. Mm, mm. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because when we go to First Peter 5 verse 8, uh, Peter, the, the disciple uh, of Jesus... He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So Satan wants to, like a lion, attack and destroy 
to humanity. With Job, we see how he would act if he could do that to every person. Mm. We also find in Revelation 7 that angels are to hold back the winds of strife. Yeah. In other words, as time moves on, God's hand is, he's been holding back the works of Satan in so many fronts that we don't even see. But there is a time coming, and we'll develop this out further in in the discussion, where God's hand will be withdrawn slowly and we'll find more and more of these things. In other words, what we've got here is God's hand uh, within within prophecy slowly is being withdrawn from the from the earth, and with it you get an increase in natural disasters. You know, David, I I, I think of even in the uh, in that book of Revelation, you get seven last plagues, and uh, you know they're actually prophesied. There's going to be some significant plagues that are actually going to impact the earth, and one of them is actually a sun that is going to scorch. Men. And so I guess a good question here, Gary, where does that originate from? Is that from God or Satan? I guess I've been talking about how Satan can cause these things, but yeah. what about the plagues? Yeah, I, and I think that's an excellent question, and I, I do think we can do another full program on that particular. Yeah, sorry, not, the pl- not going into the plagues, but who sends them? Yeah, yeah. And and that, to me, I think is one of the most significant questions that we can actually ask. Certainly they come apparently from the Scriptures uh, from God because they are a... Um uh, they are a response uh, to uh, humanity moving a long way from the from the Word of God. So this is interesting. So we see in Job uh, that Satan wants to harm and destroy. We see that most clearly on the cross, okay? Yeah. We see in First Peter 5, 8 that Satan wants to destroy. We see in Revelation 7 that the angels have been told to hold back the winds of strife. Yeah. In other words, Satan can't show his full fury on yeah. nature. Um, we also find, as you've just said, that there are seven last plagues and they originate from God. Mm. And that reminds me of the Exodus. Just before the Exodus, that second book of the Bible, just before God's people leave Egypt, there are some plagues given and they're brought on by God as a result of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart who will who is refusing to let God's people f- have freedom. This is actually quite remarkable, isn't it, David? Because uh, so often today we sort of say, hey, look, you know, I mean, uh, all the, the climate change is happening because of a human, um, uh, human action. Uh, well, yes, uh, maybe some of this is coming because of human action, but not because of the reason that is actually being given in many climate studies. That's very true. We know, too, if we went to Genesis, that God was the one that sent a judgment or a natural disaster, if you like, a supernatural disaster in Noah's flood. Yeah. And again, that was because of humanity's wickedness. Yeah. And so this is probably going to tie on to where we end up in, in Matthew 24. So clearly, God can send judgments, but God doesn't want to destroy. He wants to save. So That's his on, yeah, purpose. Let's just pull, pull a bit of this together. So we've got some loose ends here at the present time. Uh, we've got the fact that uh, Satan, we started with the book of Job, and we noticed that God had actually put a hedge around Job and protected the believer uh, and that a hedge that was so strong that uh, Satan himself was not able to get through until God uh, said, okay, I'm going to allow you to test him and Job passed the test with flying colours. Then we find in other portions of scripture, we find that things that we might be called 
uh, natural disasters actually come on the earth, but they become because of God's action, if you like, God's judgment. And, of course, you get uh, the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, God judges humanity and what we might call a, uh, a climate disaster is actually coming because God is allowing uh, something else to take place. Absolutely. So are we pushing against God? And that, that, you know, it's a provocative question, correct? Yeah. Then, so, so God can send things in a response of humanity's um, wickedness. Satan certainly wants to destroy um, and Jesus says that in John 10, the thief, Satan, comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Mm. But when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and I think you alluded that this was touched on yesterday, we find in Genesis 1, um, verse 28, when God makes man in his own image and he makes female, verse 27, we get to verse 28 of Genesis 1, and it says, Then God blessed them, man and woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Mm. So God is basically telling humanity, Adam and Eve, the first parents, that you are to have full managerialship. You are to have full control over planet earth, if you like, mm. the, the living creatures and the living plants, flora and fauna and and. What do you call birds? Ave? <laughs> Things that fly in the sky, right? So humanity is to have total charge. Yeah. But there is a responsibility with that. There is. There is. And so God made us caretakers, if you like. Then, though, Gary, it's very interesting. When we look at the age of the patriarchs, they all lived very long it, ages. It's interesting. One of the things we did actually point out yesterday with that, that particular text is that man is given this managerial responsibility, but that is actually given to him before humanity falls. And, of course, what happens is that man then falls, sin comes into the human heart, he's still got responsibility, but now he's got a corrupt heart. So he's divided. Uh, so he's now divided, and how does he start to treat his environment? He starts to pillage his environment instead of caring for it in a as a steward as a good steward would actually cover their their responsibility and if i was on radio tomorrow i'd be saying this is one of the challenges that those that advocate vegetarianism that it's less you know less emissions uh, versus those that want to continue the beef industry and cut down forests so man's heart is divided You've, you're correct because of sin we're divided we have competing interests we have greed Mm. And we put self first. Yeah, yeah. So you see a degradation then in creation. You yeah. see that in the ages that the patriarchs live, and uh, finally it, it drops right down. Correct? You know, maybe just share with people. I mean, how long did the? I mean, the Bible records incredible ages for uh, the for early generations of humanity. I mean, so it, Adam lived for nine hundred and thirty years. Methuselah, 969 years. That's their human, and, and that's incredible ages that are actually quoted. In fact, you find those ages being maintained right up until the time of the flood when God actually uh, turns around and he says, I'm going to, and there's a declaration there, I'm going to make man's lifespan 120 years. And then a little bit later, he says three score and 10 or 70 years. And God, through declaration, is actually shortening humanity's lifespan. Which in one sense, hum humanity is also doing that, aren't they? They are. 
And so you have this degradation of lifespan, and I think that is also, um, whether it's completely comparable, but we see the same thing in creation itself. Yeah. You know, and I don't have the stats on me, Gary, of how many species of animals and, and, and life become extinct each year, but it is very scary. I've, I've heard figures before of the number of species that just become extinct and the number that are in danger. Yeah. So we, as the earth gets older, there are problems. Isaiah 51 uh, touches on this. Isaiah 51 6 says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens, listen to this, the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. Yeah. So this tells us, this is the gospel prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, 700 odd years before Christ. He's saying the heavens or the sky, if you like, will vanish away like smoke. There'll be problems. The earth will grow old like a garment. Now, sometimes you can wear clothes till... Your elbows mm. poke through mm. or your knees poke through or whatever. And what do you do when that happens? It's no good. And you've, at that point, you've got to go and buy a new garment down at the shop. That's it. And so we're told that the earth is going to grow old like a garment. And I think we can see that, correct? Yeah. And, and I think, David, that this really says so much to me, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, yes, uh, has there been, uh, you know, has, if you like, Satan had impact on this planet. Yes, he has. Um, has the judgment of God had impact on this planet? Yes, most certainly. Um, has uh, we do, do we have a situation where the world is growing old like a garment? Most certainly, it is. And this is seven hundred years before Christ. Amazing what Isaiah is actually saying there. Uh, and, and look, David, and no one would disagree with that today, would they? And nobody would actually disagree with that at all. And, and you know, David, you know, one of the real challenges I, I, I believe is that uh, humanity uh, is is now uh, attempting to say, "Well, we're going to fix this." Uh, problem, you know. I mean, it, it's very much like I'm so conscious that as a person grows grows older, I have a, a you know a reasonable amount to do with people as they get as they get more older now. Uh, and you know, there are some things that as you age tend to come on. You know, the, the health problems tend to come on to you. True. You know, your you know your your income starts to wind down um, somewhat. You know, you're no, no longer able to do the things that you were once able to do. You're no longer able to support the children that you were. You know, and what you? Why is that happening? It's because happening because of old age is happening. What the scriptures talk about is that old age is going to impact this planet in human beings, but also in nature itself. Exactly, exactly. And so that's what Isaiah is saying here, right? He's saying the heavens will vanish like way like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who in it will die. Now, I want to in that same verse. I didn't read the last part. So we've got this picture of the earth growing old like a garment. But then it says, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. So we have this um, contrast of the earth deteriorating and degenerating and it says those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But then what God has in store, his righteousness and his salvation are forever. They'll never be abolished. They'll never go away. 
What a beautiful thought that that actually is. And, and you know, to me, I, and we will come to this, you know, I love the way the Bible actually does climax, uh, you know, with uh, the recreation. Is the planet going to be recreated ultimately? Yes, most certainly it is going to be. But, you know, it's not human effort that's actually going to recreate the world and make a better world. I love the way the scriptures do actually climax. And that's 100% true, Gary. Humans have a responsibility, correct? Because God has said that humanity, as you said, prior to sin, to have dominion and be in charge. But because of sin, we can't even agree on, even a husband and a wife at times can't agree on things, right? Yeah, so how yeah. is a whole planet going to agree on the way forward because there are divided interests? Right now, uh, we have Pacific nations saying that we're going to be the first ones to go under. We're going to have to relocate our people into higher ground. And you've got, and I'm not saying what's right or wrong, you've got you know, some big areas of uh, industry in Australia that say, no, we need to, if, if we stop producing coal and selling coal, it's going to affect our country. Uh, and, and, of course, this is where, in all of our hearts, self-interest rules the day. What is the biggest flaw in the green environmental objectives? It's the human heart. Until you can solve the problem of the human heart, it's not possible to solve the problem of the environment. And to me, that's why I think that, uh, you know, what Jesus does in the scriptures, in recreating the world and in recreating the human heart, is the perfect solution to the environment. But David, look, let's come to some music. Uh, love uh, this uh, this particular song. This is Michael W. Smith, and the word is um, ancient words. Uh, love uh, love this, uh, this particular song. Uh, please enjoy uh, Michael W. Smith, Ancient Words.
That was Michael W. Smith, uh, Ancient Words. Uh, what a beautiful, uh, beautiful rendition he uh, he presents. Now, look, our giveaway book again uh, for today is uh, the book uh, Hope When the World Falls Apart, and this is uh, done by uh, Dr. Russell Burrell. Uh, love uh, his, his writing, his presentation. Uh, it's so uh, relevant. It's down to earth. You'll love uh, this, this particular book. Uh, it deals with uh, the life of, the life of Daniel. And, uh, it shares how he, uh, worked through, uh, absolutely, uh, appalling, uh, li- absolutely an appalling life, uh, to really praise God at the, uh, at the other end. Now, look, if you'd like to have your own copy of Hope When the World Falls Apart by Russell Burrell, all you need to do is to text us here at our studio. Uh, that text number again is 048 Eight oh eight eleven, and uh, just uh, give us the uh, give us the code, and the code is SA two three SA twenty three for South Australia, and uh, uh, our robot will uh, pick it up. He'll contact you and uh, get the necessary information to be able to send this uh, this book uh, to you. Uh, you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, a big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher, and David's the uh, lead pastor of the. Seventh Day Adventist Church here in uh, here in South Oz. Uh, this week and next, uh, we're looking at the Bible, the Church, and the environment. Uh, we want to give a biblical understanding of this subject today. We're looking at what does the Bible say about natural disasters. Now, David, um, look, thank you so much for what you've actually shared so far. It has been so enlightening. Uh, look, I, I believe Matthew twenty four has got something to say about natural disasters as well. Look, it does, Gary. Um, in this chapter, uh, Jesus' disciples uh, question Jesus on when the temple will be st- destroyed and what will be the sign of Jesus' coming, signs, and the end of the age. In other words, mm. they are saying the world's going to end. What's going to happen before you come back? Mm. And when will the temple be destroyed? And Jesus goes through in Matthew 24 telling people to be aware of false prophets and false Christs. Don't be deceived. He also talks about um, the challenges of uh, there'll be wars and and rumors of wars, nations will rise against nation. This is verse 7 of Matthew 24. Uh, sorry, after the wars and rumors of wars, he says, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences. This is the New King James. And guess what, Gary? The word pestilences um you have in there uh, the concept of a pandemic, some health Indeed crisis. Indeed you do. Indeed you do. I mean, what Christ is talking about here is just something that he's being so realistic. He's being down to earth. There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences. There's going to be earthquakes in various places. And what does he say then? He says all these, this is the New King James, are the beginning of sorrows. But when you go to a translation like the New International Version, this is verse 8. It says all these are the beginning of birth pains. Mm. Now, Gary, you and I have never, uh, never had that privilege. Experience no, that, never but had but that I've privilege. Wit- I've witnessed someone else, my wife, yeah, yeah, as I have three times. <laughs> and um, for me, it was quite easy. I just fell asleep in this beautiful, comfortable chair. And uh, I remember with our first, uh, our son, our first child, there was like thirty hours of uh, labour and whatever until delivery and an emergency cesarean, ultimately. But um, yeah, um, when Jesus says here, he says it's so easy for us to pass it off, isn't it, Gary? It is. It is. But um, he says, look, there is going to be wars, there is going to be famines, earthquakes. Uh, 
in various places. There's going to be natural disasters because the world is growing old like a garment and because Satan has his fingerprints on things, including ourselves as selfish human beings. But then he says, these are all the beginning of birth pains. Now, you and I, again, aren't qualified, but... From what we're, we're going to get ourselves into trouble out of this one. We really so, are, David. So please don't SMS in on the number, okay, uh, at this time. Uh, what I have seen from limited personal experience and, and secondhand, and you also, is that when, um, when a lady begins to have birth pains, they, it's painful. There will be a long gap potentially between the first and the second and so on, they, yeah, they're spread out. Yeah, yeah. But as the birth nears and draws closer, those birth pains will become more frequent and will become sharper and more painful. At least that's what everyone tells me. Uh, and that is certainly the reality, isn't it? I mean, certainly from you know what, what I have certainly seen, that's the way it does. And that's the analogy that Christ, another man, actually uses in this particular situation. And it's interesting, it's diverging. God said this to Adam and Eve after sin in Genesis, that Mm. you'll have pain in childbirth. But here specifically, Gary, as you're saying, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples that all of these natural disasters, earthquakes and all sorts of things, um, and wars and rumors of wars, um, and famines and pestilences, they are the beginning of birth pains. In other words, the earth is on a collision course with ultimate destruction, if you like, Mm. and the destruction, if I use the analogy, which may be somewhat faulty, is is the end of the, the... The birth, if you like, is like the end of the earth. The, the okay. end of the age end and, of, of the course, age. then the recreation after That's that. That's correct. But to, to me, I think, David, this is actually so important because we're living in a day and age now where uh, with environmental science works on a, a couple of assumptions. And one of those assumptions is, of course, that uh, the world is going to go on for age after age after generation after generation, that we have to plan now for all future generations. Now, I accept we need to care for the earth now. I certainly do accept that but does that uh, can I accept the assumption that the world is going to go on for generation after generation after generation well no I actually can't so while we have a responsibility God gave it in a perfect world and that responsibility still rests with us to have be good stewards or managers of creation but because of sin, the world is on a collision course. Jesus is coming back. Life will not go on as everyone thinks it will. Yeah. Yes, we may be, we have a part to play. But ultimately, regardless of what we do, the earth will not go on forever. Because Jesus says here, these are like the beginning of birth pains, which ultimately means there is essentially, he's going to say, these things are going to get more intense, these natural disasters. They're going to become more frequent. And they're going to become have greater consequence. And then ultimately he comes back. And, and he does. And that's what actually Matthew 24 he comes to because if we go to verse 14, now, okay, he talks about this gospel of the kingdom. This is actually the purpose of the people of God. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. In other words, Christ is actually presenting uh, presenting this, this subject of the fact that he is going to come. Let not your heart be troubled, is what he says in John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And, you know, to me, David, that's an incredible hope, incredible promise. It is. So really what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24 and what you've just read in John, he's saying, I've got a rescue plan. I'm going to rescue you and every other believer that has ever lived from this planet. Why? Because the earth is growing old, waxing old like a garment. Why? Because all of these natural disasters and wars and rumors of wars are going to become more intense, more frequent. The earth is crumbling and cracking. Now, we have a responsibility to care for what is before us. Yeah. But it's not going to mean that the earth will continue But I think the thing to point out here is that the political solutions that are being offered are actually not going to function. And the reason they're not going to function is because the human heart themselves is selfish. And Or if you want to go to to Jeremiah, it is desperately wicked. You know, I mean, to me... Deceitful above all things. Deceitful above all things. How do you actually, if you have got a selfish, grasping nature... How do you possibly put into place the sort of changes uh, that would be necessary uh, to make even a limited change to this earth? Now, you know, to me, I think it is important that within our own personal environment uh, that we certainly care for the planet uh, as best as we're physically able to do. I think it does challenge the throwaway society that we've actually developed in our current environment. You, you know, David, I, I, I can well remember when I was when I was growing up, we used to grow up in the day of the Milko uh, and every single morning you're probably too young for this a but little I, bit young I can well remember the Milko coming every morning when I was in primary school and the Milko would deliver milk in bottles and you'd put your bottles out the front of your house uh, and uh, he would take the old ones away for them to be washed uh, and recycled uh, and he'd leave full ones there and uh, to me as I look at that I sort of think hey you know I mean maybe that was uh, that was a very good method and and in Revelation, uh, Jesus tells John that uh, those who des- uh, those who destroy the earth will be destroyed. Will be destroyed. So, in other words, humanity has impacted on the welfare of the planet. Yeah. Because of sin, because of greed, um, we've failed to do what God invited humanity to do prior to sin. Mm. We still have a part to play as sinners. Uh, in caring for the environment and doing what we can, but ultimately Jesus is coming back to rescue humanity from this and planet. And he is the one that's going to going to act. Now, David, I really appreciate what you've actually been, been sharing. I'm conscious that our time is actually gone. Let's just bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. Lord, I want to say thank you for all that you created. I want to say thank you for being the almighty creator. Lord, I want to say thank you for also being the saviour. Lord, I want to be say thank you for promising to be the one who is going to come back and restore uh, all things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Father, I just pray uh, that indeed you might touch our hearts, that indeed uh, we might be better servants of yours in all that we do. Uh, Lord, we just give our lives again to you at this time, and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Uh, well, folks, it, it does look like our uh, our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and uh, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan spend the entire time looking at uh, that question, 
could vegetarianism uh, benefit the environment? I believe you'll greatly enjoy uh, that, uh, that, that question. I really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.